In the story of Ruth so far, Naomi has lost everything. We've been told that it was a famine that drove her family to leave the land of Israel, uh, to leave behind family and relatives and friends and their land, and to relocate to the foreign land of Moab. And once they arrive, Naomi's husband dies. And 10 years later, her sons die too. And in the ancient world, this is utter bankruptcy. Naomi now has no hope for the future. She says she was once full and now she's empty. And we can resonate with that. But she couldn't seem to empty herself of her foreign Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. Despite Naomi's best efforts, she can't get Ruth to leave her. She can't get Ruth to stay in Moab. Instead, Ruth clings to Naomi and insists on traveling with her to Bethlehem. And so together they go because they've heard that the famine is over and there's now food on the tables of Israel. And as they settle into life in Bethlehem, we begin to see that this little story, although it involves pain and loss and suffering, is actually a little story about a Hebrew word, hesed. As we've been saying, hesed is often translated kindness, but it's better translated loving kindness. Or as Preston put in the words of Sally Lloyd-Jones' children's book, it is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. But because of everything she's lost, Naomi came to believe that God may show his said to others, but he has withheld it from her. A turning point for Naomi, however, is when Boaz enters the story. Boaz is described to us as a worthy man. It was a way of saying, this is an upstanding person of great character and and quality and a faith-filled person. He happens to be a distant relative too, a redeemer. And as we'll see, a redeemer is a person with both the ability and the responsibility to lift someone out of their poverty and to give them another chance at life. And they return to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem's abuzz. News is spreading about this foreign Moabite woman who's showing remarkable love and hesed to Naomi. And when given the opportunity, when Boaz finally encounters Ruth, he uses it as a chance to bless both her and Naomi. He is exceedingly generous and gives them enough food for a week. And this generous act, someone being kind, is how the light finally starts to break through to Naomi. If Ruth could be this kind to her, if Boaz could be this kind to her, maybe this love and kindness she's experiencing from others is actually a demonstration of God's love and kindness toward her. And so as we'll see in our chapter, Hesed is a lot like a dance. When you see it, when you experience it, it draws you in and you get caught up in its movement. And as you receive, you give. And as you give, you receive back and forth. At least that's what we'll see in our chapter this morning. Because here's the theme I want to explore. Hesed is the dance of God at work in and through us. Hesed is the dance of God at work in and through us. To see this point, we're going to look at the three characters of the story, one after other. Uh, Naomi, then Ruth, and then Boaz. So if you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to be in chapter 3 of Ruth, beginning in verse 1. Everything will also be on the screen behind me. 
Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. What is Naomi's endgame here? Because at first glance, it looks like she's telling Ruth to go and seduce Boaz, or maybe using Ruth as a pawn to secure her own future through Boaz. But that's not what's happening. Naomi has encountered Hesed, God's love, and it's gotten into her bones, and she's joining in on the dance. She has received and received, and now she's willing to give. And she's very upfront about her intentions. Look again. Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Back in chapter 1, you may recall, Naomi tried diligently to get her two daughter-in-laws to stay in Moab. She compelled Orpah and Ruth to leave her alone. And this is what she said. Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Naomi's motives are mixed here. On the one hand, yes, she sincerely wants to see her two daughter-in-laws have a new start and find new husbands. She wants their well-being, but more so, she just wants them to leave her alone in her suffering. But when you encounter God's said love through others, it starts to change you. It gets into you and it starts to reorder your heart and reorder your desires. And as a result, you start to not only seek your own well-being or your own interests, but also the interests of others. That's what's happening to Naomi here. As Naomi has encountered said through Ruth and again through Boaz, it grips her heart and it starts to reorder her desires. So now she's concerned about Ruth's future again and her well-being and her rest, not as a means of accomplishing something for herself, but simply for Ruth's sake. Which is essentially why she said, we need to find you a husband. Now, I understand that sounds a little archaic, that the best thing for Ruth would be that she finds a husband, but this is an old text, and it takes place in a time of a hyper-patriarchal society. There was no future for a woman back then, apart from her family and apart from her husband. That was the only viable option for security in the ancient world. That's just how things were. And yet this setting is so different for us, isn't it? Let me give you another example. Today, when you're considering marriage, when you're trying to decide if you want to marry someone, usually it comes down to two things, romance and eye color. Uh, and that is just not how things worked in the ancient world. In Naomi and Ruth's day, that was a back burner issue. Marriage instead was strategic and usually arranged. They helped solidify uh, alliances between families and they helped secure social and economic and political security. And most of all, marriage was seen as an opportunity to extend your family through children. So when you think about Ruth, she's out of luck. She has nothing. She brings nothing economically to the table. 
She was a foreigner. She brings no social benefit to the table. And she had a history of barrenness. There was no advantage whatsoever for any man in the ancient world to marry Ruth. But this doesn't deter Naomi. And perhaps it's because of what she's seen in Boaz so far. He's a man of great character. And this gives her hope that maybe Boaz will see past all the disadvantages of marrying Ruth and actually marry Ruth and attach himself to her for Ruth's sake alone. Now, that doesn't sound all that revolutionary to us. Generally, when you want to marry someone, you want to marry them for who they are and not what they bring to the table. But again, that's not how things worked in the ancient world. So this is revolutionary and countercultural. This is not how marriages were solidified and decided and, and, and united. And the fact that it's Naomi of all people proposing this, Naomi who previously said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, because I am bitter through and through. The fact that this woman now proposes the craziest idea that could be known in marriage in the ancient world shows just how powerful said is. And maybe it's because of this. If Ruth could show Naomi said when she had nothing to offer, perhaps Boaz could show Ruth the same said when she has nothing to offer. But now let's take a look at the fun part, Naomi's plan. She hatches up this kind of wild plan. In the ancient world, uh, widows dressed the part, so you would know by their dress that they are in a state of widowhood. And so essentially we need to hear Naomi instructing Ruth to put off her widow's clothing and to anoint or beautify herself to signify, hey, I'm available now. But here's where it gets scandalous. She tells Ruth to go to Boaz when he's out of sight and asleep, alone, and uncover his feet, whatever that means, and get into bed. It's unlikely she's instructing Ruth to have sex with Boaz, but she's not, not instructing Ruth to have sex with Boaz. It's ambiguous. One commentator actually, a uh, commentator in our community goes, no, no, there's nothing sexually scandalous about this. You know, his feet would get cold and that's what would wake him up. Sure. One scholar notes that the threshing floor, where this takes place, that's actually where the work of prostitutes took place. So this is a very scandalous location and a sexually charged action. And the plan's all a little bit forward, don't you think? Like maybe Ruth should just try inviting Boaz out to coffee first. That might be a good start. And that's how I would recommend dating today, not what Ruth is doing. Start with coffee. But what do I know? Maybe someone should buy uncoverhisfeet.com and start a new dating service. And if you need a tagline, here's one, advocating for female boldness in Christian dating since 1300 BC. And in fact, that domain was available and I'm going to buy it and it's going to direct to stpetersfireside.org. One scholar says, this plan is fraught with danger, not be just because Naomi has placed Ruth now in a sexually vulnerable position, it's fraught with danger because it's so irregular. A woman propositioning a man, a younger person propositioning an older person, a field worker propositioning the owner, 
It's also very, very risky because it defies every custom and convention of the day. And the whole plan is incredibly risky for Ruth. But it's also sacrificial for Naomi. You might recall in the last chapter, Naomi referred to Boaz as a relative and one of our redeemers. One of our redeemers. This is a reference to an ancient Jewish law and custom about land. A redeemer was someone who was responsible to help a person reclaim land when the person had to sell it or let go of it because they had fallen onto hard times. But the spirit of the law was more than just about the land. It was also about restoring life to the people. In a sense, a redeemer had to sacrifice their own resources. Either they had acquired the land and have to give it back, or they have to use their own resources to buy the land and then give it to the person who lost it. But you're not just giving people back their land. You're giving them back their social status. You're giving them back an opportunity for the future. You're giving them back life. That was the responsibility of a redeemer. And since Boaz was related to Naomi's dead husband, whose name I struggle to say, so I'm just not going to say it, a redeemer gave him that responsibility. He both had the ability and the responsibility to help Naomi out of her estate. But in her conversation here with Ruth, she doesn't bring up that Boaz is a redeemer. She just reminds Ruth that Boaz is a relative. So Naomi is not sending Ruth to Boaz saying, make a legal claim. Tell this man that he is legally obligated to help us and help both of us. No, she is just sending Ruth out for Ruth's sake and Ruth's future. She's willing to let go the only source of her blessing in the story so far. Ruth is the only life that we have seen around Naomi that's actually good and full and beautiful and Naomi's willing to let her go. His said, we see, is love. And it's a love that doesn't just look after your own self-interest, but actually pursues the interests of others, even if it's of great cost to yourself. And so has said, this kind of love, it's more than just occasionally inconveniencing yourself for a friend when they ask you to help them move or drive to the airport. It's more than inconveniencing yourself by giving up your seat on the bus or by serving uh, meals to the homeless once in a while, although those are all good things. His said is a lot more like the mothers around the globe and even throughout this city who give up their children for adoption, as painful and risky as, and difficult as that is because they want a better future for their child. His said is a lot more like refugee fathers who make sure that their children stay on the makeshift boats, even to their own peril. That's the sort of action that's taking place here with Naomi. The said is this risky and sacrificial love that's a lot like the love of a mother or father that gives and gives and gives at great cost to themselves. So having considered Naomi, let's now turn to Ruth. Naomi's put forward this plan, and we read in verse 5 through 7, uh, Ruth replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. 
And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. If someone told you to do what Naomi told Ruth to do, would you do it? And would you do it without maybe a handful of questions about what you're being asked to do first? But Ruth just says, all that you say, I will do. And then she goes and does it. But I don't want us to misunderstand Ruth. She's not thoughtlessly compliant or subservient. As we've seen in the first chapter, Ruth is no pushover. Ruth made a profound vow to Naomi that went like this. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. So what she is doing now in taking this great and crazy risk is just the outworking of that vow. She's not forgotten this allegiance she's made to Naomi first and foremost above all other opportunities. But here's how we know Ruth isn't just compliant and submissively meek. Look at verses 8 through 9. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Boaz wakes up. He's surprised. I'd be surprised. You'd be surprised if someone was sleeping at your feet who was not previously sleeping at your feet. And so he asks what anyone would ask. Who are you? Or what the what? And <laughs> Ruth simply says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Now, if Ruth had been compliant, she would have stopped there. Because Naomi's instruction was, let Boaz tell you what to do. But that is not where Ruth stops. She takes a risk. She goes beyond Naomi's instruction and she makes a request of Boaz. She's a bold risk taker. It takes courage. She says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Ruth knows that Naomi is doing what is best for her. Ruth also knows that Naomi is making a great sacrifice for her. And like Naomi, Ruth is gripped with said. She can't just seek after her own self-interest without seeking after the interests of Naomi as well. And that's why she says this to Boaz. But what exactly is she asking when she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. You might recall in the previous chapter, when Boaz spoke to Ruth, what did he say? The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So what should we hear Ruth saying to Boaz? Boaz, I call you to be a tangible expression of finding refuge under God's wings. Boaz, if this is who you say your God is, show it. Boaz, Walk the talk. I mean, wow. Ruth has no right whatsoever to make any demands of Boaz at all in that context. And when she says, put your wing over me, which is also put your covering over me, it was an ancient turn of phrase for saying, marry me. 
Friends, this is a woman in a hyper-patriarchal society meeting a man on the threshing floor, a place where prostitutes were supposedly working, and saying, hey, will you marry me? This is revolutionary stuff. And why should Boaz do this? For you are a redeemer. This is the dance of Hesed. Naomi sent Ruth to Boaz because she wanted what's best for Ruth. But Ruth couldn't forget the one she pledged herself to. She'll never leave or forsake Naomi. And so Ruth could not truly have rest and a brighter future if it doesn't include Naomi. And so what does she do? She binds herself to Naomi and she says, if you want me, it comes with Naomi. The said grips Ruth. It makes her humble and obedient and bold and brave. But it most vividly appears in her request. Ruth binds her life and her future to Naomi and intercedes and says, if you'll help me, you must also help her. We come together. The said binds itself to another and intercedes for them. That's what Ruth shows us. Having looked at Naomi and then Ruth, let's look at Boaz. After what's probably a pretty abrupt wake-up call, uh, and hearing Ruth's appeal, Boaz replies in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Just as Ruth said to Naomi, I will do all that you ask. Boaz now says to Ruth, I will do all that you ask. Ruth wasn't being compliant. Neither is Boaz. He's not shrinking before a woman's remarkable strength. Rather, it draws out his own strength and he matches her with an amazing act of grace. You see, her strength doesn't diminish him. The strength of a woman doesn't undermine a man and result in male passivity because when his said is at work, when God's love is moving through us, it draws out strength in everybody. And this is true in both directions. So when a man or a woman does an act of strength, does something that requires courage and bravery, and it's rooted in love toward another person, when God is at work, it brings that person up to the same level. And so a woman never needs to hide her strength, but should live out of her strength within the world for the sake of others. You are not called to be complacently meek, so to speak. You are called to be someone who demonstrates the strength of God at work in and through you for the sake of lifting others up to live out of the same strength. But what we see then is when Ruth does this, Boaz joins her in this countercultural movement. Boaz does something that turns the hyper-patriarchal society upside down. Ruth is a barren, impoverished, foreign widow, worthless in that society's eyes. And now Boaz throws all of the customs aside and he says, I'm going to do what you have asked. Why? Verse 11. Because you're a worthy woman. Let's not mishear Boaz. He's not saying, oh, because you're so deserving. Because you bring so much to the table. He's saying, because you're a worthy woman. This is the exact same word that was used in the previous chapter to describe Boaz as a Worthy man. In other words, Ruth, you're my equal. You bear the same character and qualities and strength and courage and boldness and faithfulness that I bear. 
You're an equal and you have dignity. And just as Naomi had hoped, Boaz will demonstrate has said to Ruth, even though she has nothing to offer him. But then there's this hiccup. Everything seems to be going well. Hope has appeared. It seems like it's going to resolve. The future is getting brighter. And then suddenly Boaz says in verse 12, Now it's true that I'm a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. The hiccup is that someone else is ahead of Boaz in the line of redeemers. Someone else actually bears the legal responsibility, which means, and here's the shock, Boaz isn't actually obligated to do anything, even if that other person declines, because someone nearer exists. Boaz has the right to shrug his shoulders, but his said drives him to bind his life to Naomi and Ruth's as well. And so if this redeemer won't do it, he'll step up to the plate even if it's costly for him, and it will be. But I want to return to how the power of a said can heal and even challenge the dynamics between men and women. Even though Ruth and Boaz are in a sexually charged moment, he doesn't take advantage of it. He simply says, lie down until the morning, and the Hebrew word used there for lie makes it very clear that's all they did. Boaz treats Ruth as an equal. He treats her with the dignity she deserves. And he does not accept her offer without fulfilling his promise. And so Boaz didn't take advantage of this sexually charged situation, even though he was a man who had power over this vulnerable woman. And I think it's in part because he did not reduce Ruth down to her sexuality. He sees her worth. He sees her dignity. He sees her value as a person, and he sees her as an equal, a worthy woman, not a brief opportunity to satisfy his sexual appetite. He sees his role in caring for her in her vulnerability to help and to empower, not to harm and to hurt. That's remarkable. Because what we see is that his said can work so powerfully within someone that they can rise above eros or erotic love. They can rise above sexual desire as strong as it may have been in that moment. Because his said has the power to actually heal the relationships between men and women, to heal and restore, and to mend a culture that often reduces women and sometimes even men down to their sexuality, or as objects to be conquered. It's remarkable. And I've seen the power of God to set at work in people in this community, in my own life, that can actually do this. Not just in dating relationships, but even in friendships and marriages. And in this setting, between a powerful man and a vulnerable woman, we see that said grips those with power to use their privilege and their power to serve those who are weak and vulnerable. Boaz uses his power for good, to redeem, for justice, to do what is right. Because true power, gripped by God's love, seeks not to be served, but to serve. That's what Boaz shows us about his said. And as the chapter comes to a close, Ruth discreetly leaves Boaz in the morning because if she was seen, it would have 
damaged both of their reputations. But once again, Boaz doesn't send her off empty-handed. He provides for her and Naomi. And I doubt any of them got sleep that night. But as Ruth arrives home, Naomi's up and waiting. How did it fare for you, my daughter? Ruth gives the report and Naomi responds. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Redemption is on the way, but for now, all they can do is wait. Redemption is on the way, but for now, all they can do is wait. When we remember that this whole story is set against the backdrop of judges, how do we make sense of these people? Judges was a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and what was right in everybody's own eyes was terrible, awful, and dark, and chaotic, and disruptive. And here you have Naomi and Ruth and Boaz shining brightly and demonstrating remarkable acts of love and faithfulness. And it it pushes us to say there must be something more at work in and through them. And that's precisely what's happening. Once again, behind the scenes, God's hand is mysteriously at work, working through ordinary people in quiet ways to bring about his good purposes. Whether they know it or not, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are caught into God's dance of Hesed. God is at work through them. So all this beauty and goodness and courage and boldness and humbleness you see in them, is actually them reflecting the image of God in which they are made. That's humanity's destiny. You were made in the image of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and your calling is to reflect his image into the world around you through your relationships, through your work, through your whole life. Well, how do they do this? Naomi reflects the Father, who shows us his said by sending his Son into the world at great cost to himself. God gave and gave so that others could have life. Ruth reflects the Spirit who binds us to the very life of God and who, Paul says, always intercedes for us with prayers too deep for words. And Boaz represents the Son, Jesus Christ, who used his position and power to bring about our redemption Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and poured himself out on the cross so that we could be redeemed from certain death. This is why so many theologians and pastors throughout the centuries have described the Trinity as a dance. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in a dance of everlasting love with one another. But as they dance, they move toward the world in an act of redemption. And we're invited into this dance. We're invited into the very life of the Trinity. And we see this dance included Naomi, and it included Ruth, and it included Boaz. God brought them into what he was doing in the world, even though they were unaware of it. Let's remember, it's through Ruth and Boaz, hundreds of years later, that Jesus Christ will be born in Bethlehem. This dance of the Trinity can include us too. It can include you, but we can't fake the steps. We can't pretend like we know the dance of Hesed without God's Hesed dwelling in us. We need God to take the lead. We need God to bind his life 
in ours. And we need God to work through us so that we can become a people who don't only seek after our own self-interest, but also the interests of others, so that we can become people who take risks and bind ourselves to others around us so that we don't settle for relationships of convenience, but actually cultivate relationships of deep commitment and sacrifice and love. We need God to be at work in us so that we can actually become the type of people who use whatever power and privilege we have to meet people in their vulnerable state and lift them up and empower them and give them life. You see, Jesus came into the world to demonstrate, God has said, to demonstrate this dance and to invite us into what God is doing in this world. His said is God's love at work in and through us. And that's the amazing thing is you can actually begin to rep represent God, this very dance through your life, in your relationships, in your work, in the city, in the world, your whole life can become a glimpse and an invitation of the dance of Hesed. And so throughout the Advent season, we remember. We remember that God showed us his Hesed by sending Jesus Christ into the world. And as we remember, we're waiting on the promise. Redemption has appeared. We have the hope that we are waiting for Christ to return. But as we wait, we do not wait alone because God has sent his spirit and invites you to have your life bound to him and he will intercede for you every step of the way. And so as we wait, we dance. We dance the dance of Hesed. That's the invitation. We dance the dance of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love.